As I said before, welcome everyone in the name of the Lord. We're sure glad to see you here today. And hopefully a few more will show up before too long. Um, before we start, uh, David, would you open us up in a word of prayer? Yes, we got to. Well, God, we thank you for this time. And we thank you for the teaching Sandy's about to bring. And Lord, we know that Jude is very important for the day today, as you've told us in your word, that many false prophets and teachers will come. And Lord Jude was very instrumental in me and, and others learning how to identify these people. And they're, they're cloudless. They, they're clouds, but empty as you said, Lord, and I just thank you for your instruction there. And Lord, we thank you that everybody is here. And Lord, I'd ask that you bless them. Lord, let us learn something from here. And then, and then we, Lord, we would like for the ability to take what is being taught and put it into practical application in our lives for either the salvation of our loved ones, a friend, co-worker lord god that's falling following false teachers and we ask you now bless this meeting in jesus name amen amen amen, amen. thanks david all right i'm gonna mute everybody and get started here guess i better unmute uh... there we go so um today we're gonna <laughs> We're going to cover one verse. <laughs> uh, it's such an important verse, and it's so full of packed full of meaning that uh, it's worth spending the time on this one verse. And that is verse eleven. It says, "Woe to them!" Talking about the false teachers, they have taken the way of Cain. They have rushed for profit into Balaam's error, and they have just been destroyed in Korah's rebellion. So Jude presents us with a very clear picture of false teachers by using an illustration from the lives of these three men, Cain, Balaam, and Korah. So let's detail that out. First of all, the way of Cain. Uh, Genesis 4.1 says, Adam lay with his wife Eve and she became pregnant and gave birth to Cain. She said, with the help of the Lord, I brought forth a man. Well, of course, we have to notice, especially from our modern perspective, that Eve recognizes that babies come from with the help of the Lord, <laughs> not just from a biological union of a male and female. It's very important. Um, in Genesis 4, 2 through 7, it says, later she gave birth to his brother Abel. Now Abel kept flocks, and Cain worked the soil. In the course of time, Cain brought some of the fruits of the soil as an offering to the Lord, some of the fruits. But Abel brought fat portions from some of the firstborn of his flock. The Lord looked with favor on Abel and his offering, but on Cain and his offering, he did not look with favor. So Cain was very angry, and his face was downcast. 
Then the Lord said to Cain, why are you angry? Why is your face downcast? If you do what's right, will you not be accepted? If you do not do what's right, sin is crouching at your door. It desires to have you, but you must master it. Now, why would God not look with favor on Cain's offering? Well, because Abel brought the right sacrifice and he brought the best part of the offering. In ancient cultures and even today, the fat portions are the most highly prized because they can be used for all kinds of things, but especially they were uh, very good smelling when they were uh, put on a fire. Well, we'll look at that in a moment, but how did Cain and Abel even know that they were to bring an offering to God in the first place? What was this offering for? Well, the Bible says that there's no forgiveness of sin without the shedding of blood. It was for the forgiveness of sin. God was the first to show that a blood offering was necessary for the forgiveness of sins. Um, in Genesis 3.21, it says, The Lord God made garments of skin for Adam and his wife and clothed them. This is after they found out they were naked and were uh, embarrassed. So where would you get garments made from animal skins? Well, not from a live animal, but from a dead one. God made the first sacrifice of blood for the sins of Adam and Eve. Later, Jesus Christ is also the first and only perfect blood sacrifice for sin. This first blood sacrifice prefigures the ultimate sacrifice God made of his only son. God is the only one who can atone from sins for sins. Let me repeat that. God is the only one who can atone for sins from beginning to end. So Adam and Eve, Cain and Abel, knew that a blood sacrifice, an animal offering, must be brought to the Lord for the forgiveness of sins. When Cain was upset over God not accepting his offering, he was acting like a rebellious child. He just brought some of the fruit, you know. God warned him that he was giving himself over to sin with his rebellious attitude. You know, that's what can happen. When you, give, when you have a rebellious attitude toward the Lord, you can end up giving yourself over to sin. Sin is crouching at the door. But unfortunately, again, Cain didn't listen to God. Genesis 4, 8 through 9 says, Now Cain said to his brother Abel, Let us go out to the field. And while they were in the field, Cain attacked his brother Abel and killed him. Then the Lord said to Cain, Where's your brother Abel? I don't know, he replied. Am I my brother's keeper? <laughs> now Cain takes his rebellion a step further. And lies to God. Genesis 4.10. The Lord said, what have you done? Listen, your brother's blood cries out to me from the ground. Of course God knew what had happened. Why would he think that he could get away with it and hide it? Well, you know what? Sin demands a blood sacrifice. Only blood can cover over sins, especially like murder. God knew what had happened to Abel. 
So he said this, Genesis 4, 11 through 16. Now you're under a curse and driven from the ground, which opened its mouth to receive your brother's blood from your hand. When you work the ground, it will no longer yield its crops for you. You will be a restless wanderer on the earth. Cain said to the Lord, my punishment is more than I can bear. Today you are driving me from the land and I will be hidden from your presence. I will be a restless wanderer on the earth and whoever finds me will kill me. But the Lord said to him, not so. If anyone kills Cain, he will suffer vengeance seven times over. Then the Lord put a mark on Cain so that no one who found him would kill him. So Cain went out from the Lord's presence and lived in the land of Nod, east of Eden. God orders Cain to leave the ground he polluted with his sin and the blood of Abel. God must judge those who sin. Anyone who lives in unrepentant sin and does not obey the Lord will be driven from his presence. And especially in eternity. God will send sinners away from his presence to a quote-unquote land of Nod in eternity called hell. Remember what the people are doing in hell. They're crying, there's crying and gnashing of teeth. It's interesting that Cain is punished by being given a mark and sent to the land of Nod. Some commentators think that the mark was trembling. Now, Nod means agitation, commotion, quaking, trembling. Whenever we see trembling in the Bible, it's usually associated with the fear of God or fear of judgment from God. You know, that puts us in mind of those in the third wave who do slain in the spirit and claim that the trembling, shaking, and crazy behavior that come for, comes from it are a blessing from God. <laughs> But guess what? The Shakers and Quakers who were instrumental in influencing that whole counterfeit revival movement all the way from uh, back at uh, the Azusa Revival, they did the same thing. But you know what? Trembling is not usually a blessing from God. It means judgment is coming. We all ought to tremble at the judgment of God coming. Some false teachers say that the mark of Cain was dark skin. <laughs> that was patent false doctrine. There's no support for that in the Bible. It's also silly because the only family left after the flood was Noah's family. And he was likely medium brown skin because it's been proven by science that all skin colors can be produced from the genes of those who have medium brown skin. And you know, that doctrine of the Mark of Cain is still used by the KKK, the false teacher Arnold Murray and other false teachers. But, you know, what a ridiculous thing, you know. Um, it's just, we're all one blood. We are one blood. If I uh, have a problem and I need a transfusion, I can go to the deepest, darkest recesses of Africa or, uh, you know, uh, Papua New Guinea. And if somebody has the same blood type as me, doesn't matter what, what their co color of their skin is, we're all one blood. 
This is what flies in the face of all this critical race theory and ridiculous stuff that we have today. We are one blood. So let's look, how does the story of Cain help us understand false teachers? Well, point one is false teachers bring a false gospel. You know, Cain brought fruits instead of a blood sacrifice. Cain worked the fields and the fruit of his work was the fruit he brought as an offering. But you know what? We can't be saved by our work. That's the point. We must bring the kind of sacrifice, the kind of offering that God wants. Guess what? Today, God requires us to believe in his only son who shed his blood on the cross as a perfect blood sacrifice for our sins once for all, for all eternity. Jesus Christ's perfect sacrifice is pictured in the imperfect animal blood sacrifices that God required uh, before Christ. But today there's only one way to be saved. And this is to believe on the Lord Jesus Christ. Now there are many who add works to salvation. We know that the Catholics do. Uh, the third wave does. Third waivers say you have to have a second experience of the baptism of the Holy Spirit, adding this to salvation. I have no problem with the continued filling of the Holy Spirit. I do have a problem with them using the word baptism. Because when you're born again, you are baptized in the Holy Spirit. You receive the Holy Spirit. They're denying that. Catholics, of course, add sacraments, etc., they're bringing other sacrifices when only Jesus' sacrifice on the cross will do. And they do this in rebellion, just like Cain brought an offering against the will of God. On Judgment Day, many people will bring their fruits before God, hoping that will buy them salvation. But they'll be rejected if they do not claim the blood sacrifice of Jesus Christ on the cross for salvation. Hey, the only way is to be the, under the blood of Christ, to be in Christ on that day. You can't come up to the Lord like some will do and go, Lord, Lord, didn't I do all this stuff in your name? It doesn't matter what you did. I don't know you. If you're not in my son, I don't know you. The second point is false teachers try to worship God in a way he has not ordained. This is a big one for today. We cannot worship God in unbiblical ways. Cain brought an offering and thought that by bringing an offering, that was all that was needed. Worship other than God's way is no worship at all. In fact, it displeases God. I did an article. In fact, I preached on this out at Devor. That's basically what... Uh, Israel was doing. They were singing songs to the Lord. Meanwhile, they had uh, the, the couple of, of emblems of a couple of false gods in their pockets because they were superstitious. Another one is Uzzah. Remember his story? He reached out and touched the ark on a man-made new cart he'd helped to build when God had commanded only Kohathites 
to carry the ark on poles and for no one to touch it. He was not a Kohathite, and <laughs> they, were, they were transporting the ark in an unbiblical way. God had to judge them, struck him dead. Third waivers, Benny Hinn, uh, you know, Brownsville, Toronto, do not follow biblical teachings, and yet they have their hands all over God's people. Let me repeat that. They have their hands all over God's people. You don't know where those hands have been. Those hands are unwashed, folks, in the subjective sense. God will surely judge uh, them for their actions. They need to stop getting people to worship God in ways he doesn't want. That's a dangerous thing. You come under God's judgment. The third point is false teachers do not give their best to God. <laughs> this is a good way to, to figure it out. Notice that Cain simply brought some of the fruit of the soil. But Abel brought the fat portions. Now, the fat portions in most cultures are the most prized portions of the meat. <laughs> this might gross you out, but where I grew up out in Palau, they would take taro root. And after they killed a pig, they'd have this big, huge vat of lard. <laughs> and they would dip their taro root into the lard and eat it, <laughs> which is pretty good. but. Uh, not so good for your uh, arteries, but that's the prized portion. It's also preservative. You know, God wants our best, not our leftovers. Uh, uh, case in point, Ananias and Sapphira. You know, they promised God the money from the sale of their land. Yet when it came to give it, they withheld some of what they promised God. False teachers today live lavish lifestyles, spending money sent into them by people who've been made poor by their false promises. I've got so many emails of people who literally gave everything they pretty much had with the promises, oh, you're going to be rich, 10, 20, 100 fold. They take that verse completely out of context. So false teachers are a bad example to people everywhere, showing them that you can worship God the way you want, reserving the best for yourself. And there are many more examples of this in the Bible. Well, rebellion leads to separation from God and judgment. Why would people want that? Be very careful of the way of Cain. The second one is Balaam's error. Numbers 22, 4 through 35 says this. The Moabites said to the elders of Midian, this horde is going to lick up everything around us as an ox lip licks up the grass of the field. So Balak, son of Zippor, who was king of Moab at the time, sent messengers to summon Balaam, son of Baor, who was at Pethor near the river in his native land. Balak said, a people has come out of Egypt 
They cover the face of the land and have settled next to me. Now come and put a curse on these people because they're too powerful for me. Perhaps then I'll be able to defeat them and drive them out of the country. For I know that those who bless, those you bless are blessed and those you curse are cursed. The elders of Moab and Midian left, taking with them the fee for divination. Notice that they, they were going to pay a fee. Now, when they came to Balaam, they told what Balak had said. Spend the night here, Balaam said to them, and I will bring you back the answer the Lord gives me. So the Moabite princes stayed with him. God came to Balaam and asked, who are these men with you? Balaam said to God, Balak, son of Zippor, king of Moab, sent me this message. A people has come out of Egypt, covers the face of the land. Now come and put a curse on them for me. Perhaps then I'll be able to fight them and drive them away. But God said to Balaam, do not go with them. You must not put a curse on these people because they're blessed. The next morning, Balaam got up and said to Balak's princes, go back to your own country. For the Lord has refused to let me go with you. So the Moabite princes returned to Balak and said, Balaam refused to come with us. Then Balak sent other princes more numerous and more distinguished than the first. They came to Balaam and said, this is what Balak, the son of uh, Zippor, says. Do not let anything keep you from coming to me, because I will reward you handsomely and do whatever you say. Come and put a curse on these people for me. But Balaam answered them, even if Balak gave me his palace filled with silver and gold, I could not do anything great or small to go beyond the command of the Lord my God. Now stay here tonight as the others did, and I will find out what else the Lord will tell me. <laughs> as if he's going to say something else. That night God came to Balaam and said, since these men have come to summon you, go with them, but only do what I tell you. Balaam got up in the morning, saddled his donkey, and went with the princes of Moab. But God was very angry when he went. Hmm, I wonder why. The angel and the angel of the Lord stood in the road to oppose him. I assume you know who the, the angel of the Lord is. Balaam was riding on his donkey, and his two servants were with him. When the donkey saw the angel of the Lord standing in the road with a drawn sword in his hand, she turned off the road into a field. Balaam beat her to get her back on the road. Then the angel of the Lord stood in a narrow path between two vineyards with walls on both sides. When the donkey saw the angel of the Lord, she pressed close to the wall, crushing Balaam's foot against <laughs> So he beat her again. Then the angel of the Lord moved on ahead and stood in a narrow place where there was no room to turn, either to the right or to the left. When the donkey saw the angel of the Lord, she lay down under Balaam, and he was angry and beat her with his staff. Hmm, three times. Then the Lord opened the donkey's mouth, and she said to Balaam, what have I done to make you beat me these three times? Balaam answered the donkey, you have made a fool of me. If I had a sword in my hand, I would kill you right now. 
The donkey said to Balaam, am I not your own donkey, which you have always ridden to this day? Have I been in the habit of doing this to you? No, he said. Then the Lord opened Balaam's eyes, and he saw the angel of the Lord standing in the road with his sword drawn. So he bowed low and fell face down. <clears throat> the angel of the Lord asked him, why have you beaten your donkey these three times? I have come here to oppose you because your path is a reckless one before me. The donkey saw me and turned away from me these three times. If she had not turned away, I would certainly have killed you by now, but I would have spared her. Balaam said to the angel of the Lord, I have sinned. I did not realize you were standing in the road to oppose me. Now, if you are displeased, I will go back. The angel of the Lord said to Balaam, go with these men, but speak only what I tell you. So Balaam went with the princes of Balak. Ooh, I guess the Lord was testing him to see what his motives were. You see, the Lord knows our motives. We really can't tell the motives of a person, but the Lord can. He sees the heart. Balaam then proceeded to try to curse Israel three times. Instead, God only let him bless Israel. Notice that even though God had told Balaam he was not to go with the men from Balak, he said he would ask the Lord again. This is because he really wanted the money being offered him. Wanted that dough. This is why God was angry with him. God knew that Balaam wanted to be able to curse Israel so that Balak would give him money. We can also see that Balaam was a prideful person, thinking he was important. And the incident with the donkey, donkey left him shamefaced. Well, later on, we learned some things about Balaam as well. Later, Balaam found a way for Balak to get back at Israel. Look at Numbers 31.16. They were the ones, talking about the Israelites, who followed Balaam's advice and were the means of turning the Israelites away from the Lord in what happened at Peor so that a plague struck the Lord's people. They led them into uh, marrying other people and committing adultery. This made the Lord angry at Israel, and God sent a plague as a judgment on Israel. Well, so they kind of got their way. But don't think that Balaam got off the hook. Numbers 31.8 says, Among their victims were Evi, Rechem, Zur, Hur, and Reba, the five kings of Midian. They also killed Balaam, son of Baor, with the sword. Ooh, he got it with the sword after all. Peter says later that Israel had wandered away from God to follow the ways of Balaam who loved the wages of wickedness. 2 Peter 2.15, they have left the straight way and wandered off to follow the way of Balaam, son of Baor, who loved the wages of wickedness. Wow. I guess things don't change that far these days, do they? In our Jude text, we see that Balaam ran greedily for profit. To run greedily is a picture of a, 
a river overflowing its banks. Balaam was so greedy, he beat, beat his donkey because he was in a hurry to run to Balak so that he might be able to curse Israel and get paid. Oh, well. His motives were completely wrong. So let's look at some things here from this story. Number one, false teachers practice sorcery like Balaam. Sorcery? Well, sorcery, in part, is trying to conjure up spirits or even God himself. You know what? God cannot be conjured up or summoned. He is completely sovereign and does things by his will, not by the will of men. Balaam was trying to get God to say what he wanted him to say so that he could be paid. If God was not going to say what he wanted, then he was going to make something up. You know, word faith teachers like Kenneth Copeland teach that Christians can speak whatever they want to into existence using the power of faith, just like God used the same power to create the world. Oh, really? You mean there's this thing called faith out there in the universe that God used? That's not how he created the, the universe. Copeland and these guys have not read their Bible. He created it by his word and will. So that's sorcery and witchcraft, trying to get God to do and say things that he, you know, we can't, we can't force God to do stuff like that. The false prophets of the third wave prophesy things that they know please people rather than God. And they make a handsome living doing so. Trying to control God or work around the will of God like Balaam did will only bring judgment. The second one is false teachers do what they do for profit, the love of money. You know, the, the Bible is clear. The love of money is the root of all kinds of evil. TBN is full of televangelists who spend a high percentage of their time asking for money. They use sorcery to do slaying of the spirit tricks so they can make a name for themselves and lots of money. It's witchcraft. They sell things like holy anointing oils and cloths that have been touched by televangelists with the anointing. They claim these things will heal. They then turn around and spend a lot of money they raise with these tactics on themselves, living like millionaires, not like millionaires. Most of them are millionaires, and I'm told uh, at least Kenneth Copeland is a billionaire. They build these huge houses all over the world and in Southern California. The third point is false teachers lead people into immorality. Balaam was responsible for leading the people of Israel into immorality. The followers of Balaam and, and the Nicolaitans in, in in Revelation, did the same thing in the time of the early church. We have the same type of people in the churches today. The claim we have freedom and they claim we have freedom in Christ and you do anything we want and God will just forgive us. We're one and done. That is false teaching, folks. Repentance from sin is more than just throwing up a quick 
prayer, you know. Excuse me, many regret thee, you know. <laughs> no. It's turning away from wicked ways. We do not have a license to do whatever we want to do. Because, hey, we're once saved, always saved, we're all done. We are not to commit adultery as Christians with the idea that later on, oh, we'll just tell God, I'm, I'm sorry, oops, I made a mistake. I got news for people that do that. They've got a pretty scary thing coming in the judgment. False teachers today in the third wave create events where people are allowed to go wild, basically. The music is wild, the preaching is wild, the manifestations are wild. You know, uh, there's a song, Born to be Wild. <laughs> well, it's actually truth, but we're not supposed to be wild. Not as believers. But all that does is stir up the flesh. Once you get people wild, they naturally want more of that. Give me more. And this leads to other sins like adultery, drug use, alcoholism, and immoral behaviors. I've seen this over and over again with these third wave people, the new apostolic. They have to travel from revival to revival to get, you know, plug in again and get, get re-energized. And if they can't do that, they have to turn to other sources. Uh-oh. So a lot of them end up on drugs, on alcohol, immoral behavior in particular. We see it over and over again. Well, the rush to riches is a highway to deceit, covetousness, covetousness and, and seduction. It's a dangerous road. Well, let's look at Korah's rebellion. Numbers 16, 1 through 35 says, Korah, son of Izar, and the son of Kohath, the son of Levi, and certain Reubenites, Dathan and Abiram, sons of Eliab, and On, son of Peleth, became insolent and rose up against Moses. With them were 250 Israelite men, well-known community leaders, who had been appointed members of the council. They came as a group to oppose Moses and Aaron and said to them, you have gone too far. The whole community is holy, every one of them, and the Lord is with them. Why then do you set yourself above the Lord's assembly? <laughs> wow, <laughs> what gall. When Moses heard this, he fell face down. Then he said to Korah and all his followers in the morning, the Lord will show you who belongs to him and who is holy. And he will have that person come near him. The man he chooses, he will cause to come near him. You, Korah, and all your followers are to do this. Take censers and tomorrow put fire and incense in them before the Lord. The man the Lord chooses will be the one who is holy. You Levites have gone too far. Moses also said to Korah, now listen, you Levites, isn't it enough for you that the God of Israel has separated you from the rest of the Israelite community and brought you near himself to do the work of the Lord's 
tabernacle and to stand before the community and minister to them. He has brought you and all your, your fellow Levites near himself, but now you're trying to get the priesthood too. It's against the Lord that you and all your followers have banded together. Who is Aaron that you should grumble against him? Then Moses summoned Dathan and Abiram, the sons of Eliab, and said, and they said, we will not come. Isn't it enough that you have brought us up out of the land flowing with milk and honey to kill us in the desert? <laughs> is that what he did? <laughs> and now you also want to lord it over us? Moreover, you haven't uh, brought us into the land flowing with milk and honey or given us an inheritance of fields and vineyards. Will you gouge out the eyes of these men? No, we will not come. Wow. Then Moses became very angry and said to the Lord, do not accept their offering. I have not taken so much as a donkey from them, nor have I wronged any of them. Moses said to Korah, you and all your followers are to appear before the Lord tomorrow. You and they and Aaron. Each man is to take his censer and put incense in, in it, 250 censers in all, and present it before the Lord. You and Aaron are to present your censers also. So each man took his censer, put fire and incense in it, and stood with Moses and Aaron at the entrance of the tent of meeting. When Korah then had gathered all his followers in opposition to them at the entrance to the tent of meeting, the glory of the Lord appeared to the entire assembly. The Lord said to Moses and Aaron, separate yourselves from this assembly so I can put an end to them at once. But Moses and Aaron, Moses and Aaron fell face down and cried out, O oh God, God of the spirits of all mankind, will you be angry with the entire assembly when only one man sins? Then the Lord said to Moses, <clears throat> say to the assembly, move away from the tents of Korah, Datham, and Abiram. Moses got up and went to Datham and Abiram, and the elders of Israel followed him. He warned the assembly, move back from the tents of those wicked men. Do not touch anything belonging to them, or you'll be swept away because of all their sins. So they moved away from the tents of Korah, Datham, and Abiram. Datham and Abiram had come out and were standing with their wives, children, and little ones at the entrances to their tents. Then Moses said, this is how you will know the Lord has sent me to do all these things, and that it was not my idea. If these men die a natural death and experience only what usually happens to men, then the Lord has not sent me. But if the Lord brings about something totally new and the earth opens its mouth and swallows them with everything that belongs to them and they go down alive into the grave, then you'll know that these men have treated the Lord with contempt. As soon as he finished saying this, the ground under them split apart and the earth opened its mouth and swallowed them and their households and all Korah's men and all their possessions. They went down alive into the grave with everything they owned. The earth closed over them and they perished and were gone from the community. At their cries, all the Israelites around them 
fled, shouting, the earth is going to swallow us too. And fire came out from the Lord and consumed the 250 men who were offering the incense. Wow. So Korah and his followers questioned the Lord's will. The Lord had given them special places of authority. Korah uh, was a Kohathite who was also in charge of the Holy of Holies in the Ark. But he and his followers became prideful and thought they could dictate the will of God. They rebelled against God's instituted authority in Moses and Aaron. Well, first of all, number one, false teachers claim an anointing and authority God, God has not given them. Wow. Isn't that the truth? Saying you're anointed when you're not is dangerous. It's a quick way to be judged. The false teachers today go even further by saying they have such a powerful anointing, they can pass it on by their will to others by the laying out of hands. But you know what? That's heresy. There's only one anointing, and it is the anointing of the anointed one, Jesus Christ. 2 Corinthians 1, 21-22 says, Now it is God who makes both us and you stand in Christ. He anointed us, set his seal of ownership on us, put his spirit in our hearts as a deposit, guaranteeing what is to come. He anointed us. It's the Lord who does the anointing. 1 John 2.20, but you have an anointing from the Holy One, and all of you know the truth. We share in his anointing through the Holy Spirit when we believe that he is God, and died and rose from the dead. That's the criteria. Titus 3, 4 through 7 says this, but when the kindness and love of God our Savior appeared, he saved us, not because of righteous things we had done, but because of his mercy. He saved us through the washing of rebirth and renewal by the Holy Spirit, whom he poured out on us generously through Jesus Christ our Savior, so that having been justified by his grace, he might become, we might become heirs, having the hope of eternal life. He poured it out on us. If that's not a picture of baptism, I don't know what is. But false teachers often tell people they may be Christians, but they don't have the, they may not have the Holy Spirit. Oh, I've never liked that saying. What a judgmental thing. Oh, you, you can be a Christian, but not have the Holy Spirit. So you got to come over to our meeting, and we'll lay hands on you, and then you'll get the Holy Spirit, and you'll speak in tongues. Uh, wrong. The buzzer goes off. <laughs> That's not how the Holy Spirit is given. Claiming to be more holy than other Christians, the body of Christ, is a great sin. These people who do this, in particular Pentecostals, many Pentecostals, they ought to be afraid of judgment from God, because this is the sin of Korah. Many in the third wave even claim to be equal with God. Oh boy, this is becoming a plague. Someone just sent me a, a video from South Africa somewhere, and there's a couple of guys preaching, and they're both just claiming to be God. 
Well, I'm a son of God, therefore I'm God. Uh, no, that doesn't follow. You're a son of God. You're a child of God. You're not God. And you can't do everything God can do either. Oh, I'm going to walk on water. Who was it that said that? Fertig or somebody like that? Oh, yeah, right. You know, I'm going to, I'm going to steal the storm. I'm going to feed 5,000. No, you're not. You can't do what Jesus could do because he's God. You're not. They claim to be gods themselves or little messiahs like they did so many times on TBN. Isaiah 44, 6 says, this is what the Lord says. Israel's king and redeemer, the Lord Almighty, I am the first and I am the last. Apart from me, there is no God. <laughs> These guys are not God. They also claim to be foundational apostles when that's impossible by biblical definition. The foundational apostles are all gone. They were all martyred except for John for the faith. What makes these guys think they're foundational for the church? They're not. Oh, yes. If you want to be technical about it, there's a type of apostle today. But they are church planting missionaries. They're evangelists. We don't call them apostles because that confuses people. But this is what these new apostolic people do. It comes from the latter reign. Ephesians 2.20 the church is built on the foundation of apostles and prophets with Christ Jesus himself as the chief cornerstone. You can't lay a new foundation. The church is already on the roof. In fact, it's on the steeple today. We're at the end. Don't, don't think you can tear out the foundation and make a new one. That's crazy. You can't lay another foundation other than that of the apostles, prophets, and Jesus Christ. So, you know, they claim, they're just like they did in Paul's day, they claim to be getting new revelation apart from Scripture. Though Paul taught us not to go beyond what's written. 1 Corinthians 4, 6, Now, brothers, I've applied these things to myself and Apollos for your benefit, so that you may learn from us the meaning of the saying, do not go beyond what's written. Then you will not take pride in one man over against another. Oh, boy, that's exactly what happens. Oh, the Lord is giving me new revelation. I'm special. You better follow me. Jesus appeared to me in my room. You know, like Paul Yonggi Cho. Jesus appeared to me in my bedroom wearing a fireman's helmet, saying that there was going to be a fiery revival. Sorry, but you've got the wrong place for Jesus to be. The second point is that false teachers claim they can create reality with their words and thus force God to act. And that's the false teaching of, of word faith. God is sovereign and we cannot dictate what God's will might be. Moses and Aaron waited upon the Lord for his will. Notice that in this story. They waited for him. But Korah and his followers had decided to set policy for themselves and in so doing made themselves enemies of God. 
boy, we don't want to make ourselves enemies of God. It would do well for third wave people to understand they've made themselves enemies of God by what they're doing. And unfortunately, they will suffer judgment if they don't repent of their blasphemies. No, you're not a little God, like Dad Hagen told you. That's absolute false doctrine. There's nothing in the Bible that says that. Well, to conclude, pride and not following the will of God is an avenue that leads to destruction, leads to faction, sedition against leaders and ministry. We are to judge those inside the church, admittedly, and we are to check everything against the written word. But we, there's no such thing as touch not the Lord's anointed. That, that was what David did. He didn't touch Saul when Saul was doing all these nasty things to him. And touch meant that he, would, he didn't kill him. He could have killed him a couple times. But he dared not kill him because he was God's anointed king. We need to take our lesson from these three individuals in history. There's some really good lessons there for us to learn and hopefully apply, you know, to, to what we're learning.